We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. It is Monday, September 28th, 2020, and my man Goran Dragic is going to the NBA Finals. Sam, can you believe it? Uh, I can't believe it. I mean, I can believe it because it's happening. Uh, If you'd asked me three months ago, I I would have told you that I can't believe it. Uh, You're a time traveler. I was high on the heat, as you know. I I love Eric Spolstra. But there's no world where I would have predicted uh, that they would have made it to the NBA Finals. I, I thought Toronto, I thought I get like a long shot for Boston, but Goran Dragic is going to be in the NBA Finals. We get to actually watch that. It's a bizarre, bizarre world. And not only that, but you know, Goran Dragic is going to be one of the key players on yeah. the, the Miami Heat and NBA Finals team. Like, How cool is that? This is a guy who has been to the finals a few times now. Uh, sorry, has been to the playoffs a few times now with Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he gets better <laughs> every year. Yeah. It's it's really incredible. He he slowed down a little bit 
recently, but he started uh, the playoffs, I remember, on a streak of like seven or eight straight games of 20-plus points. And even though he slowed down a little bit, he has looked like a very, very competent starting point guard who has outplayed uh, some other guys who are, who are pretty good at their position, including obviously other other former son, Eric Bledsoe, in one of those series. Yeah. Um, yeah, good good for Goran, man, and good for Derek Jones Jr. too. I'm just going to shout him out quickly, another former son who... Um, should not have been cut by Ryan McDonough a few years ago uh, in favor of Mike James. Yeah, um, he's a guy who maybe won't log as much playing time, but uh, in the finals we'll see. He's been a little bit inconsistent in the playoffs, but rooting for both of those guys, it's it's really nice to see. Yeah, I think it's an easy pick for Suns fans as far as who you want to root for. One of them this... is the Lakers. And the other one has Goran Dragic and Derek Jones Jr. on it. Yeah, so. I mean, look, Suns fans are, regardless, and I know there are a lot of Suns fans that frankly don't give a shit about basketball outside of Suns basketball, even if it has Goran Dragic or, or Derek Jones Jr. on one team. So, um, But for them, maybe a motivator will just be they don't want to see Lakers fans be happy. Yeah, exactly. Know? So that's what yeah. it is. I, this is not the purpose of this episode, obviously. We're, we're going to do a mailbag. We're going to talk about the mail in a second. Very briefly, um, any hot takes about what this series means for LeBron's legacy, or is that entirely too tired of a conversation for you? Well, I guess it's a little... I think that judging like the greatest of all time is a stupid conversation in general. I know we've touched on this probably like a year, probably exactly a year ago if this were a normal NBA Finals timeline. Uh, unfortunately, it's September somehow, and the NBA Finals are just about to start. But I think, you know, you're just judging different things and it's impossible to judge different eras. And, uh, you know, I think that LeBron is one of the greatest of all time and that's that's how to judge it for me. Like, I think there was an interesting conversation recently and I'm taking us on a longer tangent here, but there was an interesting conversation of the MVP and Giannis won the MVP and LeBron was asked about it. And LeBron said, it's just a little weird how the voting works. He brought up uh, a time where he was, first team all defense and Marcus Gasol won defensive player of the year and was second team all defense. And he just kind of says, how does that happen? And I think in a sense, so many people grab onto that and say, LeBron, he just wants to win every award. Well, the thing is, is he's, the, he's the best player in, in the NBA and he has been the best player in the NBA basically for the last 12, 13, 14 years. And to me, every single MVP that has won, if they switched places with LeBron outside of Steph Curry, because I think Steph Curry's right there. If they switch places with LeBron, the team gets better with LeBron, <laughs> including yeah, well, it's, the Bucks it's, this year. It's always narrative based. Yeah, it's always it's always been narrative based, and yeah. um, you can't be a Suns fan and not admit that it, were it not for narrative, Steve Nash wouldn't have two MVPs. That's just it's the name of the game. It's a, um, yes, it's a combination problem, of who does really well, tries really hard, and has the best narrative. Right, it's really what it is. But there's so much precedent behind it now that you can't you can't change it. Right. No, and I don't it's, mind it. I think that's right, just what it is. I think that the, the smartest basketball analysts, as I said it on Twitter, the smartest basketball analysts already get what it is. They understand that the MVP is not going to be given to the best player in the NBA every single season because the best player in the NBA is about so much more than just what happens in that regular season. You know, because like somebody could roll their ankle. They might be better. Uh, but they missed 20 games, you know, so now they can't be MVP. You know, that's the kind of thing that happens that's sort of narrative narrative based as well. Uh, you know, the best ability is availability as they all like to say, but that doesn't make them the better player. <laughs> Ultimately, it's almost always been LeBron. Steph Curry does something different where he just makes the team impossible to guard though. So I just want to say, you know, Steph Curry is perfect for his team and what they do. 
But LeBron was, you know, he's the best player in the NBA for 15 years, basically, and and not very many people were that. And yeah, maybe he wins an NBA Finals. I'm just rooting against him, uh, which I don't usually do. I'm a fan of LeBron, but now that he's in purple and gold, I can't do it. I don't know. How do you feel about LeBron in this whole tired debate? I, I Look, I love LeBron. I think you're right. Um, we've made this comment before on the podcast. We'd be really bad at generating ratings in an ESPN style way because I think we're both basically saying that the MJ versus LeBron debate doesn't really matter um I can I can just tell you that uh I'm rooting against LeBron it's nothing against him in this particular series um but yeah I hope he ends up three and seven it would be really nice to see Miami and succeed and and Dragic win a ring and and Spolstra continue to add to his pedigree uh, as a coach and his resume um yeah that's 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 about it yeah, uh, that's basically how I feel too. Just go Goran Dragic, go win a title. That would be amazing. And uh, Spo, I consider him the best coach, so I would like that. I would like that to be the general consensus at this point. <laughs> um, we took questions. We're going to do a mailbag here. It's uh, been a while. It's, it's been a been, while. Um, it's been two months, and specifically, the Suns went eight and zero in the bubble. <laughs> this right. is the last time. The last time we did a mailbag was with David Nash, and it took so long to get through every single question that we broke it up into two episodes spanning a total of two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And that was two months ago, but that was before the Suns went 8-0. So I think there's some really, really interesting stuff you guys came up with in response to it. Yeah, and this one's from Reddit. That one was from uh, Twitter. We went back to our roots here and uh, got questions from Reddit. Uh, and we're going to try to get through as many as possible here. Uh, thank you to everyone who asked us questions uh, we definitely appreciate it. So let's just start. We're just going to go down the line, the most upvoted, uh, and see how many we get through here. First question from Sad Bino. Uh, do you think there's a player that James Jones would reach for, in quotes, reach, in this draft? Uh, we've Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the draft. We know now that it's the middle of November that the draft is going to be, so at least we have some sort of end game here. Uh do you think there's a player that James Jones would reach for, Sam? Uh, well, I think the two obvious guys that people have thrown out, and we've covered one of them a little bit extensively on this podcast already, are uh, Aaron Neesmith and Desmond Bain. Um, we talked with Spencer Perlman about Desmond Bain, and I think the reason he makes a lot of sense for the Suns is maybe you want to prototype him or stereotype him as a James Jones guy, is he's a four-year player. Um, so the idea is he's coming in a little bit more ready to contribute uh, from year one. And he's the best shooter or arguably the best shooter in the class. So if you kind of want a repeat of Cam Johnson, he is different than Cam Johnson in in a bunch of ways that I can get into. Um, Then that would be one option. Um, I I looked it up out of curiosity. He is currently ranked 32nd on Tankathon's Mm. big board. And um, I I also looked at Kevin O'Connor's big board for a couple of Mm -hmm. prospects because I was intrigued by his opinion Mm -hmm. on it. He has him 22nd. I've talked to Richie about Desbane before, too, um, our friend um, Mavs Draft, um, who I don't believe he told me exactly where he was on his big board. But I did kind of pose the question to him. If the Suns took Bane at 10, is that a disaster? And he he said it's certainly... A swing, you know, but it's uh, it's maybe not a disaster. If you could, he kind of phrased it as this would be a situation where if the Suns found a way to trade down, um, 
you know, it, like Boston has picks 14 and yeah. 26 and 30. We've we've brought that up before. Yeah. Maybe if you could package 10 for 14 and 26 or 14 and 30 and you take Bain at 14 or something, um, you know, I think he, he said that he might be comfortable taking him in the teens, um, but would definitely be a swing at 10, um, irrespective of his ability as a draft guy, um, as a James Jones guy, sorry. And then the other guy, Aaron Neesmith, is mocked a little bit higher um, on some big boards, and he's yeah. he's just there to be a shooter. He's, uh, I think, a second-year player, six foot six, um, plus wingspan at six foot ten. Um, but no one knows if he can do anything but shoot. Yeah. Um, and he's he's just a shooter. So if J- if James yeah. Jones wants to to take a swing on just another shooter who he thinks is going to be again an instant contributor, he could go that route as well. Yeah, I, uh, Neesmith or is it Neesmith or Neesmith? Do you know how to say uh, his name? I I've heard it. I feel like I've heard it Neesmith, but I don't I know if that's it's, right. I believe it's Neesmith. Uh. I think he's interesting. He's uh, you. You brought up Kevin O'Connor in the Ringers uh, mo- or draft board. He's 14th on theirs. Uh, there's. It's the type of guy that if the Suns drafted Neesmith, you could say, "Oh, the Suns once again got the best shooter in the draft." That would be the type of of reach you could say with Neesmith. But he's he's mocked lower, just like you said, on a lot of these uh, draft boards. I think other guys, Kira Lewis Jr. I'm not sure where he is mocked on a lot of mock drafts, but I know it's past 10 a lot of times. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, I don't think he would be considered a reach though. I think yeah, he. Yeah, that's the thing be. about this draft, right? Is, is so many of the draft boards are so drastically different. I think Bain is a good one where well, he's yeah, generally Bain, in the 20s or 20s Bain to is 30s. Like, yeah, Bain is generally in the 20s to 30s. I have never seen him mocked as high as 10. Um, but honestly, the reason, you know, the reason I've seen a lot of people say Bain is the best shooter in the draft. And again, I feel like we have to preface every draft conversation with this. Mike and I are not draft guys. <laughs> there, there are people who, for the millionth time right. we're saying that, there are people who do a lot more research on this stuff than we do. Yeah. Um, the experts that I follow believe that, and for what I think is a very self-explanatory reason, Bain has shot close to 45% from college three for four years at TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, Neesmith had a 14 game sample this year of shooting above 50% from three, yeah. but it was 14 games, <laughs> you know, and his rookie, uh, his freshman season, he shot like 34, 35%, yeah. something not that special. So to me, it's almost like, you know, I've watched tape on both of these guys. Obviously I see the potential in, in Neesmith as the best shooter in the class, but also it's like Frank Kaminsky could heat up for 15 games and conceivably shoot 50% from three, you know, Aaron Baines could... <laughs> Aaron Baines literally Baines did. did. Yeah, Baines literally <laughs> in the, at NBA. the NBA level, literally yeah. did do that. I mean, so, wide know, open every time, though. <laughs> right. That's yes, that's a good point. Yeah. But I think there is there is a good argument for Bain as a guy who, um, you know, he's he's kind of more of the JJ Redick prototype in that he's six foot six with like a six yes. four or six. I'm glad you said wingspan. that. I'm glad yeah. you said that. It limits it limits his defensive. Ability, he's got T Rex arms. He's yeah, that's, <laughs> but that's he's very strong. Play. He's like a big guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to say about Neesmith, um, I, first of all, I just want to tell everyone listening to this now, if the Suns draft either Neesmith or Bain, I will immediately talk myself into either one of those guys as as like a high a potential high-end role player for the Suns. And I, However, and I want to bring that back to this and why, though. It's because yeah. the Suns have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and filling a team building a team around two guys that you you can look at as potential cornerstones for your team is so much easier than what the Suns were doing before you were like 100% certain about Devin Booker and like whatever we are 75% certain about Ayton uh because I don't know Somewhere maybe higher for there. some people yeah it, uh, look 
that's about where I was with Devin Booker after year two as well. Probably a little bit higher because it's it's just so obvious with Booker uh, and, and, and his mental toughness. But like Neesmith is 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan and he's possibly the best shooter in the draft. Yeah, I'm in. Like if you just tell me that, I'm probably in as far yeah. as he, how he could fit around these guys. I, I think the problem with him is that, you know, you watch him and he doesn't, he doesn't move. Right, like you'd want him to, and, and that sounds like Cam Johnson, though, right? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know it does. Look, yeah. I'll, guys, I'll put it this way: if the Suns take either of these players, they are going to be considered reaches. Yeah. You are going to see the Suns get panned on draft night, as they right. did last year, and we yeah. shouldn't necessarily care about that because I think it worked out with Cam Johnson. But rest assured, if the Suns take either Desmond Bain or Aaron Neesmith uh, on draft night. All of the analysts are going to come out and say, I have no idea why they did this. The Suns clearly lost the draft. They should have taken, you know, whoever. And and to be fair, those people might be right. If Killian Hayes yeah. drops to 10 and is right. on the board, or if Devin Vassell is there at 10 right. and James Jones takes Desmond Bain, he's a fucking idiot, frankly. Yeah. But like, you know, it's that within reason, there are ways that you could talk me into those guys as like, yeah, let's just grab a good shooter and, and let's just go and I'm, shoot I'm, the I'm going to tell you a guy who if the Suns draft, we can be certain that it was a Robert Sarver pick, and we can be certain that the Suns may be screwed for uh, the, the forever. <laughs> and that is, do you have any guesses on what I'm going to say here? Cash considerations? <laughs> Nico Mannion oh. from the University of Arizona. Is, uh, is Sarver notoriously like a... Arizona guy like like that's I where he a... graduated from okay yeah yeah so, I didn't even know that I didn't know yeah that. that's that's where he went to school uh and and you can look back at the history of the Suns uh for example uh Steve Kerr he hired Steve Kerr as a general manager Steve Kerr went to University of Arizona uh drafting DeAndre and is obviously a big one that you know uh that's a University of Arizona guy and there were other guys that could have been picked at that pick I don't know if you knew that but all I'm saying is Nico Mannion I think he might be fine. Like he might be an okay NBA player at some point uh, of his of his NBA career. But if the Suns pick him at ten, that's a disaster. <laughs> that's the one I'm scared of, and I don't think it will happen. Uh, for the record, but if it does, uh, get ready for a rant uh, on this podcast. Any other thoughts on that one? Uh, no, I'm. I I still have a little bit of fear that they do sell the pick. <laughs> yeah, that would. Um, be... That's what. I, that's what I'm afraid of. Is like my nuclear. Okay, uh, if that so, happens, um, should we just make this podcast about whatever team Devin Booker is traded to? <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he requests out. When he requests a trade immediately a year, after that. In a year uh, from now? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, some, some things would just be unacceptable. I think we can all agree that would be yeah. unacceptable from, yeah. from management. Just as selling the G League team was, in my opinion, and they still did that. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to the next question. Yeah, by the way, the G League team thing that that's that makes me feel like it's a lot less likely they're going to trade the 10 for like 14 and 30 uh because the right, 30th because pick they, in, in a lot of cases would be the type of pick that you send off to the g league to develop over time and they just don't have that yeah. luxury the same way now they still could send a player to a different g league team even potentially the g league team that they used to own uh, and you know but, this is also this is also the type of draft where the fact that there is so much depth from like 10 to 40 really makes you want a management that's willing to, I, I wouldn't even consider it splurging, but just, you know, pay, like there are teams um, that have four or five second round picks. I forget one off the top of my head, but then I know there is at least one team, maybe the Sixers, uh, that has like four second round picks that's mm-hmm. going to want to sell some of them off. 
right. uh, for like $2 million here or there, it would be yeah. nice to buy a second round prospect kind of in the mid to late second round and just right. store them in the G League, kind right. of like you did with Jalen LeCue and just see what happens. But under the current leadership, I just, with the financial situation, whatever it is of Robert Sarver, I just don't believe that that's likely to yeah. happen. He broke. He yeah. broke. Okay, Suns Canucks asked us, uh, which player's development is most crucial to this team, and why is it DeAndre Ayton? <laughs> yeah, he he kind of answered that for us. He's right. I mean, I guess we could break down why. I think it's pretty obvious. Devin Booker is a star, a uh, potential absolute superstar, potential best scorer in the NBA in, is at some point of his career. The next most important player is the next player with the highest potential, and I just want to remind people he's a massive dude with a – super athletic body he could be really 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 good at basketball deandre ayton and uh, that development is important but for a lot of reasons he's that he's that last line of defense he, he's gonna be guarding the rim devin booker not the greatest defender uh they need to complement each other in the best possible ways in order for this team to be ultra ultra successful uh, I know you agree with all this, so I guess the question would be, do you have any thoughts on who would be the next most important? after? Now, we'll say Devin Booker isn't obvious. We'll throw him out, too. We'll we'll throw out DeAndre Ayton as well. Who do you think the next most important player as far as development is for this team? Going forward, I guess not necessarily next season, probably more of a long-term, I'm guessing, he's asking. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think you could answer it in a couple of different ways. I, I do, too, I yeah. Inclined to say Mikhail Bridges, I think if you yeah. ask the average Suns fan who's the most untouchable player after Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, first of all, you've literally done that in that, the yeah. past. Mikhail and Bridges was actually the second. Exactly. Choice. People answered. So so it's only natural of me to say Mikhail Bridges in this case would be third here. Um, you could make cases for other guys. So, I mean, Cam Johnson, if he does the kind of movement shooting that I would like him to do becomes a super valuable player. Um, and even with Kelly Oubre, you know, my qualms with Kelly, as I've explained in previous episodes, have always been that I'm afraid that some of his weaknesses are things that you just can't teach a player anymore at like 25 or 26. Like, will Kelly ever learn to pass? I think if you haven't figured that out, um, how to how to pass out of a drive by year five, you're just not going to. But theoretically, if he did that, he's a third, you know, he's a reserve all-star type player and he's fully deserving of a big contract extension at the end of next year. So it's like if I could guarantee someone to kind of develop one skill for next year, maybe it would be, you know, Kelly starts averaging two or three assists per game and, and kind of sharpens his defensive rotations and focuses a little bit more on that end and he could become the third star type player we'd all like him to be. Um, as opposed to what he is right now, which is an above average player, but not game changing. Yeah, I think just from a contract perspective, Mikhail Bridges is going to be on the Suns for longer and the I Suns agree. have more control. So yeah. it's it's Mikhail Bridges, you know, it just is. But I think that if I think that the Suns it's interesting the way people talk about Kelly Oubre to me because I think if we had ultra confidence in the Suns' ability to develop players, then the potential in Kelly Oubre is so high. And really, he's only had one season on the Suns. He was traded at the trade deadline, uh, pre- before the trade deadline. It was like January or something. Previously, played a few games under Igor Kokoschka, maybe like 15 or 20. I don't remember exactly how much it was. Uh, was injured, missed the rest of the season. Then... Of course, a full off season with the Suns came back this year and was pretty good. Uh, I think better than what a lot of people expected, averaging 19 points a game, uh, playing relatively good defense most of the time. Uh, but I think like with Kelly Oubre, 
I think you're right. I don't think there's going to be a major improvement with his passing in a single year. But I think there's so many little things with, with Kelly Oubre that if he got just a little bit better at each thing, that would make him a lot better. Like if he focused a little bit more off the ball uh, uh, on defense, that would make yeah. him a lot better. He's got super long arms. If they were to find the right defensive scheme to take advantage of what he's good at in in that aspect, he'd be better. If he got a little bit better at cutting off the ball on offense, I think that would make him a little bit better. If he got a little bit better at passing, that would that would make a big difference as well. And then also handling the ball in the pick and roll. I think like all of those things, if they if each one of those things got just a little bit better, which is a type of improvement I think you can expect out of a competent coaching staff, uh, that would make him a lot better in the future if that was incremental year over year over year. So it's hard to say. Uh, and, and there is a weird world where like if Cameron Johnson just comes out next season and averages like 16, 17 points a game all of a sudden on like really good shooting because he's found a way of uh, beating guys that are closing out on him. Uh, that could make a big difference too. And maybe he'd vault to the top of that somehow because he's probably the best scorer, like just pure scorer outside of Devin Booker on this team and DeAndre Ayton, but it's a little different. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's it's Mikhail Bridges and then it's probably Kelly Oubre, then it's probably Cam Johnson. But at the end of next season, that who knows what that is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, that's how I would rank it. All right. Yeah, hey, mate, said... With all the wing and big talk, should we look to get a solid backup PG or should we keep riding the campaign hype train? I think we're on the same page on this one, right? Yeah, no doubt. The further we get away from the bubble, the more I come to my senses and realize not to take anything. It's not to take anything away from what the Suns did in the bubble. But look, they they played a lot of teams with a lot of injuries (laughs) and uh, we cannot let eight good games from campaign um, outweigh what he's done for the majority of his career, which hasn't been that impressive. I think it sets up an interesting situation. So basically what I'm saying is I want the Suns to bring in another backup point guard for sure. Or at the very least, because I think this is acceptable too, a third guard, it could be a shooting guard who has the ability to play point guard at times. Right. Um, And I think there are cases. Yeah. Yeah. Like Burks. Um, And I think there are cases where you can make that work. But, uh, but I, I think there is a serious advantage to bringing in, Um, A guy like DJ Augustine, who I know has been talked about before, a veteran, clear-cut point guard who is going to run an offense. You know, a guy who has been to the playoffs before, he knows how to run an offense. (laughs) Dragic would be great. Dragic isn't coming back. (laughs) Dragic is not playing. It's an example of a player, I guess. Maybe not a realistic one unless... I think um, what what I struggle with a little bit after that, essentially, I think the Suns need more depth and we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we're fine, which is campaign next year. Um, the problem is campaign still deserves a shot. He still deserves to come back and fight for the ability to play some minutes, whether it's like, say you bring in DJ Augustine, you let campaign fight for minutes. Augustine is going to be solid as he is every single year, but maybe campaign finds a way to work himself into the rotation at shooting guard. You know, I mean, he's like, He's probably about the same size that like Brandon Knight was when when the Suns played Knight at shooting guard. He could probably fill that sort of role. So he deserves a chance to to fight for minutes. Right. Um, but after that, it's like, do you want to bring back Javon Carter? I say yes, but if you bring back Javon Carter, is he really getting any playing time at all? Um, right. You, do you want to bring back Ty Jerome? He probably deserves a second year, but like he's never going to play if you bring into it. So you, you know what I mean? And like Jalen LeCue is never going to play in this instance. Right. So it's like the Suns need more depth, but they also need to sort out their shit with the back end of their guard depth chart. 
And the reality about that is if they cut a couple of guys, they might get burns later on. You know, maybe you end up cutting Ty Jerome just because you need to. And three years from now, Ty Jerome is on the Warriors and lo and behold, he's decent. You know, right. but but those are the sorts of calculated risks that they need to at least consider. Look, I, I just feel like the best case scenario for Cameron Payne and Javon Carter is that they're fighting for minutes. They're not your first option, but right. they have to make you play them. They have to play hard enough <laughs> that you have no choice. I don't want the first option to be to play them. I want them to play so well that you can't take them off the court. Uh, you know, And that means that somebody else is ahead of them in the depth chart in a lot of cases, and you put them in when they're playing very well or they're, they're showing something in practice or whatever it is that Monty Williams has to make that decision. But I think you know, like we're looking at Cameron Payne where he's literally fighting for his NBA life in that bubble. If he did not play well there, there's a possibility that he would not play in the NBA next season. Now, I think he probably will. I think there's a chance that if the, even if the Suns don't sign him, which they have his option next year, I think they probably keep him. Or maybe they use him in a trade. Like, that's an, that's an option, too. Uh, but I think he's going to be on an NBA roster next season at this point. And if we just use that to judge how good he's going to be over an 82-game season or whatever next season's going to be, it's probably not the smartest thing. But um, And there's a chance that he is the best option. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Just I think it's important to remember this team had no backup guards, period, in, in a lot of ways, point guard or shooting guard, that were good. And like you said, if you get some sort of combo guard, if you get a good shooting guard that is like a proper scorer that can come off the bench uh, and, and sort of be sort of a focal point of the offense when Devin Booker is out, then maybe you can get away with Cameron Payne or Javon Carter as the other options next to yeah. that guy. In a lot yeah, of I mean, Alec, Alec Burks is a guy who we've covered on our YouTube channel, um, can play 25 minutes a game as the backup shooting guard, but can, is a good enough playmaker that he can fill the role of point guard. Um, Jordan Clarkson probably doesn't want to come off the bench, but maybe. He's, a, he's also like a combo guard kind of option. Um, and, you know, I mentioned DJ Augustine, two things. I mentioned DJ Augustine. I think um, a lot of teams are going to be competing with DJ Augustine um, with their mid-level exceptions just because he's so boring in a good way like that's dj augustine's reliable game to me is, yeah he's reliable he's just he's never you're never going to look at the box score um, or you're never going to look and watch the game and dj augustine's going to be going off and you're going to be like whoa 25 point eruption from dj augustine no he's going to run the offense he's never going to turn the ball over ever and then you're going to look at the box score at the end of the game and he had 13 points and five assists and you're going oh okay cool dj augustine ran the offense uh today just as he always does but there are other guys too. Shabazz Napier is a free agent. I think he's a real solid option as a guy who's been a, um, a quality point guard for a few years now. Started some games for Washington this year. He's not a starting caliber point guard, but so he's kind of perfect as a guy who would accept a bench role. Um, Trey Burke mm. is kind of similar to, to Cameron Payne in a funny way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trey Burke had a hell of a first round series against the Clippers for the Mavs. Like, he exploded. He is the type of point guard who he'll really frustrate the fuck out of you sometimes, and then he'll explode for, like, 25 points randomly in a game. And, you know, there were some games where Trey Burke looked like, I don't know, Steph Curry or something. He had one game in particular in the first round where he had, like, 30 points. Um, so he's another option. Um, one guy I really like out of Minnesota, I think he's one of the most low-key, um, underrated options on the free agent market this year, to the point where I've heard no one even mention his name once, and I think this is the first time I'm mentioning his name on the podcast, is Jordan McLaughlin. He's uh was an undrafted rookie, played four yeah. years at, I believe, UCLA. Um, I might have to double-check that, actually. I think it was UCLA. 
Um, and uh, was low key one of the one of the better rookies this year for right. Minnesota. Played a small sample size of games, but looks like a guy kind of like an, a light version of DJ Augustine who can just come in and run an offense. And he's a restricted free agent, but I think that's an option too. And then you know, there, so those are just some options. But but then the other thing is we could draft someone. Like there's a big difference between the Suns drafting um, Kyra Lewis who's, you know, 19 years old or something and, and is going to take some development and is probably going to come in 155 pounds soaking wet and would be pushed around as a rookie, right? Versus them drafting um, Tyrese Halliburton, who probably can be like, maybe not a super amazing point guard in year one, but probably a guy who's comfortable with taking the reins in year one as a backup point guard and not being awful. Like he's the type of prospect where he's not super old, but he has enough experience and is good enough at just kind of like the little basketball IQ things that the transition for him is probably going to come pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. That That's an interesting one. And I think that's a, another scenario where if you draft a, a point guard, that could be your backup point guard again, by the way, uh, then maybe you do keep Cameron Payne, uh, maybe or one of Cameron Payne and Javon Carter. So you have a guy that you know was around a little bit, and 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 you have options there. Um, that would be very annoying for us doing a podcast about this team to have to talk about that night and night again. Who's going to play backup point guard? But yeah, it, you know, like we I, said, I, it makes a big difference if there's another guy next to them that can score. So, sometimes I think about JJ Redick, and I know he's getting older, but like if JJ Redick was coming off the bench for the Suns for some reason, uh, maybe you can get away with having a different kind of, of point guard just because you have a shooting threat out there at all times that's just, you know, mucking things up by running around screens constantly. Mm-hmm. So just a thought. That would be a good veteran for the team, by the way, to teach guys like Cameron Johnson like <laughs> how yeah. to run around screens a little bit. Or if you draft Des Bain as yeah. the yeah. next J.J. Redick, yeah, that would be cool. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered and left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's one word. Don't forget, that's BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. All 
right. Next one from it's your boy Jesus. <laughs> he said he says, How are unicorns fake but giraffes are real? Hmm. <laughs> you want to move I, on? No, I mean I, he makes a good point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have no thoughts on what's, that. What's so weird about giraffes? I've never really thought about this. Maybe someone. Well, I mean, they. Me. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know this. Um, they have really long necks. No, I have seen. I have seen a giraffe. Though they're like really. They're like really long. They are really long. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe that is weird. You know, like why? Why would a unicorn not exist? Can, uni- can unicorns fly? Uh, I think it depends on the lore. I, f- I mean, like, I'm not like a fantasy person. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. We're rhinos. We're, we're a different kind of nerd on this podcast. Rhinos are basically hippos with a horn, and they can't fly. So by that logic, unicorns wouldn't be able to fly either if yeah. they're a horse with a horn. That's so what I'm going to go with. What we know for sure is that horns themselves don't make them fly. <laughs> Based on that small, it's a small sample size, which, as it's, we know, it's, on a basketball podcast. Doesn't mean anything. So we specialize in logic here at the Timeline <laughs> Podcast, and so QED. We figured that one out. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this is Nato D. He says, "Would you trade Aiton for Carl Anthony Towns?" Now this Aha. is so. This is important actually because there was somebody on a Lord forgive me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> for somebody on a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast that just recently stated that <clears throat> a very that. He was told through his sauces, a very good NBA player who is very close with Carl Anthony Towns said that Carl Anthony Towns is basically done in Minnesota. So, this is a he said she. Wait, said, I'm sorry. Who who broke this story? It's a, a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast boy, <laughs> a man. I'm sure, but somebody of like well renowned, <laughs> somebody of. Of renown in that community, somebody okay. that is relatively well trusted. I'm, I actually uh, missed that one. I think, oh well, so. I mean, it sounds like Devin Booker is the guy who said that. But and by yeah. the way, a very good NBA NBA player limits it to like I don't know fifty guys, and uh, and and he told his agent is what the rumor is. So this NBA player who's friends with Cat told his agent, Cat's out, and then his agent somehow that news trickled down to I mean based on what Minnesota I've seen Cat only has two friends in the NBA and one of them is D'Angelo Russell who's already his teammate so yeah. it had mm-hmm. to, it had to have been Devin Booker you would think I mean yeah I, I yeah <laughs> I, I that was my first assumption I was like that's clearly Devin Booker wasn't Jimmy uh, Butler <laughs> I I I mean go ahead you first would you trade yeah, him for Cat Yes um so I like I think it's you know i don't i don't want to call people out too harshly like i don't want to say that this is revisionist history necessarily but i think suns fans in particular have to be acutely aware of how possible it is to be a superstar player on a bad team like we have no excuse not to do that you know like if there's anything we should know it's that from the last five years of of defending devin booker and watching suns basketball and i think carl anthony towns is a guy that you watch consistently and i'm not arguing that look if he was a perfect player he wouldn't be on the trademark in the first place right um so there are flaws and building a defense uh sustainable defense long term around devin booker and carl anthony towns might be difficult um but carl anthony towns is such a next level generational offensive player that theoretically if minnesota was even interested yeah you take that deal 100 times out of 100 and just to throw out a stat i'm gonna go 
advanced stat on you real quick. Um, this year, Carl Anthony Towns posted, I believe he was 25 years old this year. Um, he posted a career high offensive box plus minus of 7.0. The only centers in NBA history to post an offensive box plus minus that high. Not their overall box plus minus, which in Cat's case is dragged down a little bit by his defense. So that's why I say there are issues. But all centers in NBA history with an offensive box plus minus that high. David Robinson in 1994 and Shaquille O'Neal three times with the Lakers. And that's it. Um, This is a guy who he can break your defense by posting up. He can finish off a pick and roll. Um, But he's also evolved to the point now five years into the league, or or maybe even six years into the league, where he shoots shoots eight threes per game uh, on over a 40% clip. He'd be the best shooter on the Suns. Yeah, he he would. He is a better shooter than Devin Booker. He's a phenomenal rebounder. He can make advanced reads that at this point in his career, DeAndre Ayton can't even dream of making when it comes to his playmaking. Um, The Suns would have two of the 10 best offensive players in the NBA. So, yeah. I mean, how can how can you really balk that much at, at that, you know? I think the downside is, theoretically, if Minnesota was even interested, it's not just DeAndre Ayton, you know? They want DeAndre Ayton, and they want, first of all, they need, bridges, to ma- right? they need to match salaries. So <laughs> right. they're probably taking, I don't know if they're taking Rubio back or they're taking Ubre, but they're taking one of them for salary purposes, and they want Mikhail Bridges, and they want picks easily that's you know that's the sort of package we're building here and it's a tough pill to swallow for the Suns um, and and for Suns fans who not only don't want to lose DeAndre Ayton now that he's showing potential as a defensive anchor but especially don't want to build around a defensive Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns without Mikhail Bridges yes but I just it's you'd figure it out you know like oh yeah absolutely you'd you'd figure it out you'd you'd pluck guys off the street you know, who can defend but not do anything else, and you'd be fine. It, ultimately, you, you really would. So I would I would do it. Okay, so I, I will say this. Yeah, I would do it too. Um, I think that you automatically probably have one of the best, top, probably a top three offensive in the, in the NBA, and that's just you finding ways to fill in the pieces around those two guys just because of how good they are. I think it's a purified form of uh, what Dallas is trying to do with Doncic and KP, honestly. Right, right, right. It's a and good, they had the best offense in the NBA. So it One of j- the best offenses in NBA history, actually. Yeah, by it just show, shows you what that the ceiling best. would be. Yeah, and, and at the same time, part of me is like... Is, it, it's a nice thing where I feel like at this point, Booker... There's a chance that Devin Booker will be a better player than Carl Anthony Towns next next year. Because part of me thinks if Carl Anthony Towns is your best player, that's a problem. If if Carl Anthony Towns is your second best player, well, you're pretty damn good <laughs> at that point. Uh, and that's kind of what I would hope for in that case, uh, that, that Booker surpasses him. And, and in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like he did. I, I, know, I know that other people might consider that blasphemy, but I guess there was just a recent poll by Hoops Hype where they where they contacted NBA GMs and I don't know you did more of the research on this than me, and oh, yeah. Booker was rated higher than Carl Anthony Towns on that. Yeah, poll. no, that's that's what got me mad because I think that's where the revisionist history comes into play. That's just people forgetting how good Cat is based on a shitty. Because year. Jimmy Butler <laughs> destroyed his reputation. I understand, uh, and and, <laughs> you know? and and because you know I think D'Angelo Russell is. I think there are guys who are overrated, and I think there are guys who are underrated. I look at Carl Anthony Towns and I see undeniable talent. I look at D'Angelo Russell and I see... On a disaster team, right. I see D'Angelo Russell... I think he's good. I think he... You know, I don't think he's, uh, like, 
glorified Rodney Stuckey or anything, but or Brandon Knight back in the day or whatever. But he's a little bit better than that. Um, but he still has major issues, and I don't he's, think he's, he's nowhere near Devin Booker. He's nowhere near as close to being a legit number two on a playoff team as I think some people think he is. That's right. all. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely would do it. But part of me has like Jimmy Butler in the back of my mind going, "Don't do Just it. Like, don't do it." <laughs> yeah, and I look. I understand. What's name? There's something the last there. I don't team. know. Who's who's the better offensive player, Carl Anthony Towns or Devin Booker? I think it's Towns. Quite frankly, I think he's that good. But but yeah. regardless regardless of your answer, what's the last NBA team that had their second best offensive player as good as either Devin Booker either or Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, yeah. Probably the I Warriors. Mean, I mean, the Warriors with yeah. Curry and Durant. Yeah, and before them, the fucking Heat with I mean, Wade and LeBron. Also, you know who? Yeah, and also we should mention LeBron and AD are on a team together now, which is fucking that is bizarre. True. That is that is, <laughs> that's, that is, that is insane. Those guys are very, very, very good. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent point, and I think I think that the way that I talked about how the ease of finding players that fit around, um, or I see the confidence I have in players working when they fit around uh, Aiton and Booker, I mean, that's amplified by Carl Anthony Towns and Booker. You'd find ways to figure it out. And yeah, I think you would do that. But the other part of it is that we didn't even mention they're friends. <laughs> you know, that's probably yeah. good too. You make your star player happy. At that point, you make your two star players happy by not only pairing them together to be, you know, one of the better, probably the best offensive duo in the NBA going forward, and- Long term, actually, I mean Luca too, and, and KP, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But but yeah, my my last point here before we move on, just also this is not uh, trade the whole farm for Kawhi Leonard and leverage your future for one year of a guy, you know, before he hits free agency like Toronto did a couple years ago, right? This is get another guy who signed through twenty twenty four. So in a lot of cases, you look at it from a value perspective long term, and you say, well. I don't want to lose the flexibility of being able to keep DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges for seven years for one year of Carl Anthony Towns, and I think that's a fair play. But if you've got two guys who are best friends locked up for the next four years, theoretically, if the trade was today, yeah, that's that's an easy decision. It's right. Easy. Right. Uh, and uh, it would be very hard to do. Like if they want draft picks, OKC can just throw like forty at them. Yeah. <laughs> so that that that'd be hard to beat. Uh, all right. Next one does. My does the Miami Heat run this year change the way you look at building our Suns team? That's a fun question. That's yeah, a good I, question too. I think that's a really good question, and um, I think that it does. I, I you know I I spent a lot of time in our last two episodes talking about not trading Kelly Oubre Jr. and having the option of three really good wings that are versatile in different ways. Uh, on the roster and allowing that sort of versatility to help the team in the off or in the regular season and then be like a legitimate threat in the postseason. So in a lot of ways, yes. Uh, but I think so much of what Bam does well and what he's good at, DeAndre Ayton has to get good at in order for the Suns to be re- at their absolute ceiling. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is watching Bam and trying to apply that into how I think about what Ayton can and can't do. And I don't think they're like, they're not the same player. They're just not. Uh, they're going to do it differently, but I still think there's a lot to learn there. What What do you think? Yeah, for me, it reaffirms. I mean, look, we, we did two whole episodes a couple weeks ago about what we can learn from the playoffs. And we talked about Duncan Robinson and Cam Johnson, and we talked about Bam Adebayo and, and DeAndre Ayton. So I agree with all that stuff. I, I still believe that they need to play like those players and they can learn a lot from them. 
Mostly, though, I think it reaffirms, uh, from an organizational structure perspective, the need to find value in places where you normally wouldn't. And that's why the elimination of the G League team is such a punch to the gut. Because, you know, you, you saw it first with the Toronto Raptors winning the finals last year and getting significant production out of guys like Fred Van Vliet, um, you know, Pascal Siakam, guys who were, who were drafted late or who had, you know, in Van Vliet's case, a, a history of going down to the G League. And lo and behold, here we are a year later. Um, you know, Duncan Robinson played 30-plus games in the G League last season. Kendrick Nunn played 40-plus games in the G League last season. Derek Jones Jr. started out in the G League with Phoenix and then was traded to to Miami and, and became something there. And he had a career year as just a role player. You know, he's not leading that team. Um, but the entire team, top to bottom, doesn't have a single guy who's drafted in the top 10. Not Dragic, not Adebayo, not Jay Crowder, not any of them. Not Tyler Harrow. Um, hero, sorry. So it's, you know, it's just a phenomenal structure of, of that team and, mm-hmm. and reaffirms, you know, that it's not all about high-level draft picks for the Suns. Um, they they need to find ways to squeeze value out of second-round picks. I know they don't have one this year, um, but continuing to look for, for ways to, to add valuable talents um, at a low cost. And I hope James Jones and, and Jeff Bauer and whoever's running the front office are prepared to do that. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. Organizationally, there's a lot to learn, you know, as far as the Suns go uh, from the Miami Heat. And it's I, it does make me grateful that James Jones spent so many years within that Heat culture. And I think he's trying to start something like that here in Phoenix. I am definitely grateful for that. I think, you know, from another perspective, uh, the ability of the Heat to change the type of defense they play uh, from possession to possession and just be fully versed in that defense and, and those schemes is is something that the Suns have to get really good at as well. And we talked about it in our last episode. That kind of makes you want to have as much continuity as possible going forward on this team because the more players that are on this team from previous years, the less you have to teach everyone new vocabulary for one, like different teams call things different things. Uh, but also understanding the system and the way that the coach coaches you, things like that. So, you know, those are a lot of things to learn from them. Uh, But also, you know, what they have is a bunch of good wings and a bunch of good guards and a really, 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 really good center. (laughs) And if you could do that, uh, you're probably going to be good. I mean, and, 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 and Spo uses every single one in the exact perfect way that they're meant to be used. Uh, Looking forward. I really want them to win in that, in those finals. Yeah, me too. Um, that was VFB0711, by the way. I want to give that guy a shout-out. That was a good question. Uh, Tizdu, our friend, said, I want to hear about your guys' first kiss. Yeah, we're moving on from this one. <laughs> we, yeah, we, so don't got, we, we don't got time for this. <laughs> I've repressed uh, every memory from high school anyway as it is. So Yeah, I, you know, I'm, thir- I'm 33 now, so how Jesus. am I supposed to remember? <laughs> yeah, how am I supposed do you, to remember? Do you remember? That's all I'll ask. Do you Not even really. remember? I have, like, this vivid... I have this, like, memory of... You know when you have memories of like stories that people tell you, like your parents will tell you a story of something you did when you were a kid, and you yeah, kind of you remember don't it. Actually but remember really, the act of you doing just remember. Yeah, that's like all of my memories now. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's just what getting older is like. Um, let's see. This this guy is uh, M Delion Eleven, I think. He said, "Just saw Oladipo wanting out of Indy." The headline of that. He said, "What package is reasonable?" Or can or what can we put together for him? And then he said, Kelly, Frank, and the 10th pick, would that be reasonable? Uh, Kelly and Frank match salary plus a pick to match value. Um, 
And we then he included a, a Bleacher Report link. Yeah, and we talked bad. a little bit about... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Not every Bleacher Report article <laughs> is bad. Uh, don't we have... I feel like we have a friend that writes for Bleacher Report. I'm not going to... Uh, Dan Favalli. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's great. He's great. So, no, yeah. Dan's great. Um, okay, so... <sighs> he wasn't very good. I don't want him anymore. He wasn't very good in the bubble. It's probably not fair of me to say when we were talking about campaign, like, slow down. We shouldn't judge guys by eight games in the bubble or whatever. But, you know, since the last time we've had an, a fleshed out Oladipo conversation, he was, like, outplayed by TJ Warren, you know? And, yeah. and, and furthermore, isn't this a trade that doesn't make any sense for, for either side? Like, can you imagine being in need? For, for us, it doesn't make yeah. sense because I don't want to pay Victor Oladipo $21 million a year next year to be mediocre. And, and you know, I, I used to believe in his ability to bounce back. Maybe he still can. But I don't want to be the team to take that risk. I'll let some other team take that risk. Yeah. Um, There's a chance but, that we're, we, we sound idiotic for even saying no to this. Sure, sure. You know, there's but, a chance. But, but also, Indiana, like... Why would you want Kelly Oubre and TJ Warren on the same team? You right. know, like what's in That'd it for That'd be hilarious. Them? Yeah. Like for me, it's no like passing Ke- at all. <laughs> them getting Kelly Oubre. Yeah, you've got two guys who average one assist per game in the same lineup. Like you can't build around that. That doesn't make any sense in modern basketball. So for me, it's almost like Kelly has value in a vacuum, but to a team like Indiana, he doesn't have any value. Uh, value. He's just in this trade proposal for the purpose of matching salaries. So at that point, if I'm Indiana, the only thing I see here is value is the 10th pick, and I think I can get a better offer for Oladipo elsewhere. I wonder, so, though. You know, I think, I, I I think both sides say no. Yeah, I, I do think that there's some interesting possibilities where the Suns have options on, like I said, Cameron Payne earlier and Frank Kaminsky next season. And I think for Frank, the only way that you pick up that option, that team option, is if you're trying to make a trade like this and you need some extra filler money to match salary. By the way... Uh, a relatively smart thing for the Suns to do when they made that deal. Uh, you know, now they have the option of just saying no, clearing that cap space, and he can go sign somewhere else, or using him in a trade. Or um, holding him hostage, yeah. Yeah, holding him hostage, basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's a chance that he bounces back, and if he becomes what he was, which is very unlikely, just based on what we saw, we would the look stupid. was pretty brutal. We, we would look stupid because he's incredible, stupid. and he was an incredible defender, and a really good offensive player. But the, a big part of the problem here is that one of the reasons he was so good is his lateral quickness, his speed, and his athleticism. And if that doesn't come back, he's not the same guy. He's not like a, he's not like a lights-out shooter. He was a good shooter, no, but he's, that's he's not, who not he was. His defense is a selling point. I mean, right. offensively, he was, he was a good player for basically... There was only one year where he really played at like even close to a superstar level offensively. And it wasn't at a superstar level offensively. It was like reserve all-star level offensively. But the rest of his career, he's been, you know, great defensive player, gives you a little bit on, on offense, yeah. some secondary playmaking for sure and finishing. Um, but yeah, nothing to write home about. The season he got injured, I saw him lock down Devin Booker in person and I was blown away yeah, by I mean, how good he was in person. Because I was like 10, 10 rows up watching him just going, oh my God. Honestly, I think if you, if you still want the guy who can do what Oladipo is doing, he's just a couple of years older and hasn't had the devastating injury yet. Sorry, yeah. what'd you say? I know who you're going to say. It's Drew Holiday. It's Drew Holiday. Yeah. It's Drew Holiday. You have to yeah. ask New Orleans. But but because they know. Like, 
New Orleans knows <laughs> Drew Holiday hasn't had that devastating knee injury yet, so they're going to command a heftier price. It's not just going to be Kelly Oubre and the 10th pick. I think they would want one of Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson going forward, you know, in that sort of trade. But would that be worth it for Drew Holiday? I mean, Jesus, Drew Holiday next to Devin Booker is a terrifying um, prospect for opposing offenses, opposing defenses. I love, I you know, it's like the I perfect, love that it's, idea. <laughs> it's yin and yang. It's the perfect balance of offense and defense. Theoretically, if you could ever pair those two together, it, and he, um, Drew Holiday is yeah. at the point where you you get him if you're trying to win a championship. I think like, uh, and you know, not that the Suns aren't going to do that, but what I mean is like the Lakers would want him, the the Nets would want him, the sure. the Heat would want him, the Celtics would want him. You know, those teams that are just almost there would would make a play for him. And that yeah. would make him pretty hard to get at this point. Yeah, so. I just looked it up. Drew Holiday has played a total of 30 career playoff games, and he has been in the league since 2009. That's so crazy. He's, he's, probably, That's he's probably getting a little bit uh, restless. Yeah, say. yeah. And he'd be great, though. I mean, he if he was on the Suns somehow, and the Suns didn't have to give up too much to get him, I you know I would say we're a playoff team as long as everyone's healthy. Uh, next question is from Krusty Goat. He says, could Monty, this question makes me laugh, by the way. Could Monty's <laughs> sons benefit from a rim runner? <laughs> Why does it uh, make you laugh? Because that's what Aiden should be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, no, and that's what like, my answer is going to be. In a sense, we have one, and, and it's still a good question because he doesn't do it as much as I want him to, right? So, yes, uh, but here's what I will say. Uh, before the... 2019-2020 season, uh, there were reports, most of them from, from Gambo, um, that basically laid out exactly what the Suns were going to try and do. They were going to try and sign or trade for a power forward, and they were going to try to find a backup center who could shoot threes. Uh, then they traded for Dario Saric, they, they drafted a shooter, and then they were able to trade for Aaron Baines, a backup center, who shoots threes. I think that the Suns and James Jones, as a general manager, actually do value spacing from the center position. They want uh, Aiton to eventually be able to shoot threes and, of course, find some ways to eliminate that in-between game and still be a relatively good rim runner. Yeah, I mean, be- because obviously they do. Because if the Suns wanted to keep Rashawn Holmes, who was a very good player Exactly. Last year, that was exactly what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, you, you had yeah. one. No, it's you fine. You keep going. Yeah. We I had mean, one, make... and they let him go, and they replaced him with a guy who doesn't really do that. And they replaced him with a guy who makes exactly the same amount of money. Like, right. it wasn't like Rashawn Holmes went and Sacramento signed him to a poison pill and gave him $12 million a year. Rashawn Holmes is getting the exact same amount of money as Aaron Baines. So it's purely a question of both players are pretty good. One of them shoots threes and, and is a veteran, and the other one is a rim runner, and they chose against the rim runner. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this again, and I've said this a lot on Twitter. These playoffs are very much de- defined by the teams that are the best at cutting. There has been such fascinating use of spacing in these playoffs, and, and I think this is something that's developed uh, more and more each year. And it's one of the reasons that the Rockets now almost look like they're from a different era. Uh, because of the standing around so much. The Heat are the best cutting team I've seen in a long time. Uh, the Lakers are very, very good at it. Uh, and, the, and the Celtics, I think, were another great example of a team that was just really, really good at cutting. And the reason those types of cuts work, specifically with, like the Heat, for example, the reason it works so well with the Heat is Bam has the ball at the high post, and he's able to drive, and he can shoot that mid-range shot, and, and players are able to cut around him. 
So there's not a lot of spacing from Bam, but when you have the ball, you have to guard him because he can score. So that opens up a lot of space for other players. Uh, you know, so I think if you have the right like big man shooting threes, you still have to run to the rim a lot. You still have to get guys that are smart about cutting to the rim. Mikhail Bridges got a lot better at it. Kelly Oubre, good at it currently, still needs to improve. And I think Cam Johnson was making a more concerted effort as the season went on to get better at cutting. Devin Booker, elite already. Uh, so I think as far as a rim runner, not maybe not necessarily, but getting better at timing your cuts and having the right kind of off-ball movement to maximize this type of spacing that this team could potentially have in the future, that's, I think, what they need to get better at going forward. And, and I think the whole NBA is going to move towards that a little bit more. Less standing around is good. All right, this is from Magic Trick, except the G is a Q. I don't know how to say that. Kitch trick. Okay. What are you guys' thoughts on Aaron Neesmith? Neesmith as a prospect for the Suns? I guess we I already covered that. Stupid if we if we said his name wrong thirty times already. Um, <laughs> we already covered that. I think the only thing I want to add there is um, I have been way before Neesmith. Uh, I don't have a big board. I'm not. I'm yeah. not that well researched. But I like, mean, we only really study for where the Suns are picking. At least that's the way I ex- am. Exactly. That's that's why it's like, yeah, I don't know a lot about the guys who are currently projected in the like 20 to 40 right. range because right. I don't I didn't assume that the Suns would be picking there. I could be wrong. Um but with Neesmith it's like yeah, I don't really want him. Because <laughs> it's like it's, you know, we've talked about it before too. It's like so you can shoot. But like I could go and get Troy Daniels in free agency, and like he'd probably be just as good as you. You <laughs> know what sorry. I mean? Like, it's wait, like, whoa, 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 six ten wingspan. I just want to bring that up again. I know, I know, I know. It's not but common it, that you have a lot of guys who shoot that well and have a six ten wingspan. I know. You got to do something else though. You really like like Neesmith averages one assist. The uh, one critical difference between Bain and Neesmith. Neesmith averages one assist per forty minutes at the college level. Not a playmaker. Right. Um, Bain is a secondary ball handler. He's a shooting guard. He, he averages yeah. like four and a half assists uh, at, a, at a decent, you know, and he doesn't turn the ball over too much. Um, so it's like little things like that. It's like, it's not just about can you shoot? Obviously, it's the NBA in 2020. We want guys to shoot. But you need to put the ball on the floor and do something with the ball. And if you can't do that, I am not taking you 10th overall. Um, I, I don't want a guy who can't dribble 10th yeah. overall. I don't know. I like part of me does like him. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I look, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> but I think, I, I'm I not think like overly confident in that. I just think I watched I watched the clips and I'm like that's a shot. Like that's a real shot. <laughs> 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 and like that goes a long way for me. Uh, yeah. And when you have a six ten wingspan, but man, like um, that makes Poku you a shoots. potential NBA player. Poku has a shot. Why not just? Yeah, we've but had he this weighs like ninety before. pounds. Yeah, I know. He, I know he's. <laughs> and you know, but, I would draft him too at like. 30 if if i had the 30th pick or maybe later no. but uh no yeah, yeah. I th- you would you would take poku at 30 yeah why not but you would take neesmith at 10 <laughs> i'm not saying i would i'm just like i said with B- both bane and neesmith if the sun's pick if the sun's pick them i could i'm gonna talk myself into it i there's just a world where i can see both of these guys being effective nba players and that's not necessarily the case for a lot of players that I see, but I, I do think that there is a world where Neesmith is a good NBA player. I I'm, I I don't know. I I have a hard time caring about what anyone thinks about drafting too high if you truly believe in someone. And I'm not necessarily like that with Neesmith. But if the Suns did draft no, him, I would I would like to believe that they saw something there 
that that makes them feel like he would be a really good NBA player. So, I understand the I'm giving them temptation. the benefit of the doubt that they necessarily haven't earned, though. Uh, they totally haven't earned. Come on, man. Like, I understand yeah. the strong temptation to uh, say fuck you to, to all the analysts and just be like, I want to take this player where I want to take him. Like, you've said you would take Vassell, like, second? Great. Uh, fourth. Maybe third. Fourth. Or, yeah, third or fourth. Not a lot of other people would do that. Right. That's cool. I, th- I think that's cool. But, um... But yeah, the Sun, the Suns organization. I don't know that they've earned the ability to just swing for anyone they want at ten. I mean, it's, here's the thing, though: all their picks, sort of between ten and fifteen, from the last few years, have been good. Like that's actually where they have been good. Right, uh, but those weren't those weren't James Jones picks. Yeah, I mean, he was around for some of them, just not as as the main decision makers. So yeah, yeah, it's obviously difficult difficult to know. You uh, sound like a you sound like a shill. That's all I'll say. <laughs> no, I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> A, I a always Jeff like. Shill. I mean, just outside of even the Suns, I just really like shooters. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's just the way I am. I just really like guys who can shoot shoot really well. I tend to think if you're going to draft draft the super high IQ defensive players or draft the super super good shooters, if you're well, not in like the star range, and then at least you probably have a one NBA skill. I just think I could probably sell you. There are probably other prospects that other people would do a better job than me selling you on. Oh yeah, that do more than just shoot, which yeah. is all that Neesmith does. That's all uh, I'm saying. Oh, I absolutely, uh, yeah. It it would it would be the thing that happened with Cam Johnson, where I go, wait, there's these other guys that could have been here, and then later on, I'm like, wow, this guy can really shoot. Maybe that's okay. Like at least we yeah. get to see that. So, all right, this guy's I'm a dragon. I am a dragon. I'm a dragon. I believe that is. Uh, dr- oh, that's right. <laughs> Who is the worst player worth a 10-plus Kelly Oubre trade? So the 10th pick no. plus Kelly Oubre. Uh, would the team be better if we... St- and then I had another question. Let's start with that first one. Um, how long have we been... Do you have an oh, idea? We just passed an hour here. Oh, Okay. Um, the worst going. player... Well, you know, like Shaq Harrison. <laughs> I'd do it. No. Fuck, fuck Sam. It, I'd do it. No. no I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um... Man, I don't know. Like, if we wouldn't do Oladipo, and uh, I think we already said Drew Holiday was worth more than that. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, I would definitely do that. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's a very small tier of players. In for, there. by the way, for Drew Holiday, just to match salary alone, you would have to have like Kelly Oubre plus uh, something else, like, plus something else. Yeah, something at the Ricky Rubio um, level of salary. Luke Kennard is not good enough, I think, to even no, be at this not. level. No, I know he's 10th been... pick alone, maybe, but yeah. Yeah, 10th pick and like something for Kennard, but you throw yeah. in Ubre and it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's a player clearly out there in, in uh, on the rumor mill that fits this description. I'd have to think. Yeah, well, yeah like Miles Turner is another player that might be available. And I, I actually, I that name actually occurred to me too. He just doesn't have any value for us. That's it, that's um, exactly how I feel. Because like in a vacuum, again, that's probably a fair trade. Like Miles Indiana Turner's doesn't want Ubre. Right. They just don't. They, yeah, there's no way. It's there's another, no way. Yeah. There's no I way. think that's a hard one without having names. Um, I am a dragon. Like uh, not well, Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Like he's not good enough. Oh, I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> you think you? Yeah, I don't know. It just, it, I don't know. That's actually pretty interesting. It just, it's hard to know. Like this was a problem I had when I was talking to the OKC guys. By the way, fun podcast. Appreciate them having me on. But so much of like the potential ideas of what could happen with the Suns was like, well, what role is this player willing to <laughs> to do for the Suns? Mm. 
you know, like how impressed how impressed were NBA players by their bubble run? Like, would somebody like Dinwiddie be willing to? I don't know, come off the bench. I guess he would probably start. And then would Ricky Rubio be willing to come off the bench? You know, that kind of thing is is where you're like, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. Uh, so I'd like to, if you have any names that you want to throw at us when we post this uh, thread on Reddit, uh, I am a dragon. Uh, I think we can jump in there and give you a, a little ideas of who we would say yes to and who we would say no to. I think I'm just on, you know, I generally I tend to say no uh, with Kelly Oubre. I, I looked at a lot of the free agents for 2021 and, and part of me is like Kelly Oubre could be like a top five free agent from this class. Uh, as far as over the course of his next contract. So it's kind of wild. Keep him. Yeah. Would the team, and then he also said, would the team be better if we stopped force feeding Aiton in favor of designing more players from Mikhail, Ubre, Cam, etc.? cetera? Um, you, know, you know, it's an interesting question when people say designing players for specific players, or I'm sorry, plays for specific players, because I think the way the NBA works is plays aren't always specifically for players. I think there are clear plays that are designed for like shooters jumping out to the three point line and trying to get a shot. Uh, but like so many plays are just designed to have multiple options. And Every, I mean, it's a, if it doesn't have at least two options, it's yeah, a shit play. So, exactly. So like, yeah. but I understand, I think I understand what he means. And basically I tend to, I tend to agree that maybe less of eight and catching it in the high post is good. But you know, then you sort of watch Bam at a bio and, and what he does as a playmaker in that high post. And maybe Aiton can't do that. Like just maybe he just can't. And and then you, you don't do that, but maybe you should try a little bit and see if he can. Uh, so I think there's the, the big thing with Aiton is if you're feeding him the ball in the high post, he has to have some sort of game going towards the basket on his own. Yes. Yeah. And if he develops that, then it's okay to feed him a little bit more because that's going to open everybody up a little bit more. Also, I've talked about it before. Handoffs are so huge for centers in the NBA from that high post positioning now. It's like, if Aiton isn't there, you have to be thinking, well, what is he doing? And if the only other options are he's in the low post, which is not good offense in 2020. I do want him to post up sometimes, but but just not as his go-to. Um, or just doing spread pick and roll every time, which is really easy and predictable to guard. Um, I call that the Earl Watson son's offense from a few years ago. <laughs> Uh, then, you know, like you need to find a happy medium of, okay, sometimes he is going to be in the mid-range area, not specifically because he's supposed to take the mid-range shot, but because he's going to facilitate something else by setting a screen for a guy who's going to curl around and, and, you know, do that handoff sort of action. Um, whenever they, you know, they have so many plays out of that horn set where Aiden is exactly in that position. Um, so it's just going to happen, but I, I don't, I just, I would kind of reject, I'm going to push back on the notion that Aiton is being force fed in the first place. I think for a number one overall pick center in his second year, the Suns have been very reasonable about their offensive expectations. And I think something that's been consistent from day one, whether he was playing under Igor Kokoshkov or now under Monty Williams, um, I think the train of thought has always been defense first for this guy and let's train him to be a defensive player and the vast uh, majority if not all of the development we've seen from Aiton to this point has been on the defensive end for a reason yeah um so I don't I you know like I don't see this as a huge issue right now like I want the Suns don't get me wrong I want the Suns to run more plays for Cam I want them to run more plays for Mikhail um but I don't you know I, I've never looked at Aiton as like a black hole on offense I think he takes too many of those mid-range shots but it's not like his usage rate is like out of control, you know? Right. Right. Uh, there was an, there was an article written recently called about this concept of, uh, 
a cut assist, which yeah, is that's, essentially um, that's I, a mo. That's uh, okay. Yeah, Doc Hill is that how you say it? I don't know how to Dekeel? say it. Right I don't. I yeah. don't actually know. But. This is the podcast of us not being able to pronounce stuff with a combination <laughs> of Reddit usernames. You read that. a name so many times, and then you just you have to say Dockel? it. Doc Hill. Um, yeah, I loved that article. First of all, um, it was really interesting. But I think going back to the rim runner question, uh, Aiton's role in offense if he rolled hard on on his rolls to the rim if he just rolled hard to the rim that makes everybody's life easier on the sun's off on the on the offensive end so you know i you know if you just simplify his role to just being a guy who runs hard to the rim he's gonna first of all he's gonna get the ball a lot because if he's open you just throw it up high and he'll get it uh two if it opens up shooters good because now he'll be in the position for that offensive rebound where he's one of the better offensive rebounders in the NBA. He'll get easy point. points that way. Good point. Uh, and, and just to me, he needs to do those types of things over and over and over again really well. And if he starts getting that down really well, then you give him the ball a little bit more and you start rewarding him. But I think you're right. To me, defense is, all, I've said it over and over again, the most important thing for him as far as the ceiling of this team. And then going forward, if he can do a little more with the ball, then good. But uh, simplifying his role if there's good players around him is okay. It's okay. Uh, ridiculous cage, which Suns player from any season drafted or free agent. Were you the most disappointed by this is a, this is an old school Reddit user, I think, by the way, my yeah. memory is fuzzy at this point. Sometimes I forget who's been around the community for eight, nine years. Yeah, He definitely has. Yeah. Uh, who were you the most disappointed by? So I think, um, I think it's easy to to say like Josh Jackson or Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris or whatever, but you know, there's always that nagging feeling in the back of your head, even when you take a guy in the top five or the top ten, that this could bust. You know, it's a reasonable probability, especially when you're a Suns fan in 2017, like you know, and it's like they've already busted on Alex Len and Chris and Bender aren't looking so great, and you're like, oh god, they're gonna do it again, but. I think the the guys I was most disappointed by were the year after when they um, signed Trevor Reza and traded for Ryan oh, Anderson. Yeah, because there it was supposed to be foolproof. Right. <laughs> you know, it was right. like Sta- stabilizing. I don't think, yeah, no one went into that was the first year that we did this podcast together, and I believe we both expected around thirty five wins that season because we predicted that, which we were right, Devin Booker would take a leap. Um, but then we also thought that he would get some help and. We were wrong about that one, unfortunately. Right. So, right. you know, when it's a guy who's been around the league for 10, 10 plus years, like Trevor Reza, you're really expecting a certain level of professionalism and um, and play uh, every single night, and he just didn't bring it. And and frankly, once we got to last offseason, when we, you know, as excited as I was to bring in guys like Rubio and Baines, there was a big part of me that believed that it was going to be round two of that, and that maybe the Suns culture was so weak, even in the post-McDonough era, that they wouldn't, they just wouldn't be able to overcome it, and it would, it would just be part two, you know. And Rubio would struggle, and Baines would struggle. Um, I distinctly remember in a podcast last summer, I said about Aaron Baines, I think he's a solid backup, but I remember saying that I thought there was a, a decent chance that come February, the Suns' record is not looking so good, and they're at the back, uh, they're at the back of the conference in the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth seed, and there would be Baines. Um, quietly begging the front office to give him a buyout so that he could go sign with the Lakers or Clippers. And yeah, to his yeah. credit, that never happened. And the Suns played pretty well. And um, those guys, Rubio and Baines, were the two big veterans, and they were nothing but professional all season long. I'll throw Saric in that group too, even though he spent a little bit less time 
uh, in the league as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. There was always a possibility that something like that could have happened. I feel like I've been more disappointed on draft lotteries like that night (laughs) than anything else. Cause you know, uh, like Ben Simmons, I really wanted Ben Simmons on the Suns. Like that's something I really, really wanted. And uh, although, you know, um, you know, we did have the opportunity to draft maybe oh, yeah. the best player of this generation. Like yeah. that was the one that we won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and that was one of the lottery nights where I wasn't disappointed. And, and you know, I'll be honest. And I've said it. I said it the entire time. I just want one of these two players. Please just give me one of these two players. That's how I felt in the 2018 draft. <laughs> not Marvin Bagley, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we got one of the two. So I'm, I'm not going to be ultra disappointed by that uh, necessarily. I mean, I am. Ultimately, I am. But like I was also wrong. So whatever. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was going to be close between those two players. And it's really not yet. And that's n- no fault of Aiton's. I think Aiton's is on the, tr- the a normal good rookie or, or good young player trajectory. Uh, whereas Luca is on like a historic trajectory, so nobody's as good. But yeah, I, I you know I I feel like um, I think you had some good answers there. Uh, I want to throw another name out there, Brandon Knight. Um, oh yeah, but mostly because I was such a huge Dragic fan, and um, yeah, it just it sucked. <laughs> I was just you know I think there's another question. I don't know if we're gonna get to it at this point. We're we're going over our time, but we'll keep going for a little while. Um, just like us to yeah, we do have a few more. <laughs> to run over on, on a yeah. podcast, say we're going to go for an hour and then go for an hour 30 or whatever. But, um, I was so fucking stupid a few years ago, you know, like I could be t- I could, my, my biggest takeaway from the past five years of Suns basketball is just that I feel like now I can see the nuances. I feel like I've grown stronger and now I can see right. the little nuances in the game that separate the guys who belong from the guys who don't belong. You know, like I look back at, at a young 18, 19, 20 year old me, who thought Tyler Ulis was going to be, you know, something or Mike James was going to be something or Brandon Knight was going to be something. And I fell for it every time. And I think that's what built my cynicism that you see now. And you have seen, you know, sometimes on the podcast for the past two years, but, right. but I'd also like to think it's just made me a smarter viewer of the game <laughs> going through so much struggle. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I just, I'm still mad at McDonough as you guys all know. <laughs> about how the ending with Dragic went, but yeah, it's just he's he's such he was such a bullshit salesman, man. I mean, the thing about McDonough and the reason I fell for it time and time again, one because I locked myself in echo chambers. I mean, Reddit, we love you know we love you guys, and we do the same thing on Twitter. When you put yourself in an echo chamber for long enough, and it's a you know it's a Homer subreddit where people have positive opinions about the team, obviously, you're gonna kind of become like minded to those people over time, over long periods of time. But also McDonough always just seemed so smart. Like he always just seemed like he had a brilliant plan. And uh, yeah. Yeah. He did it to us again and again. Hey, maybe he did. He was just a pushover with Sarver. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. But judging from the way he runs his Twitter account these days, (laughs) I don't think he's such the sharpest tool in the shed anymore. Uh, How do you feel about pick? I don't know. We have so many. We can't get through all of these questions. We we can't. Uh, Maybe we should just pick. Oh, here's one. More. Who would win one on one between the two of us? Um, I th- you go first on this one. <laughs> I have to say that's me. From, uh, I mean, what can I say? I can't say you. <laughs> that's from. Well, you could have done the humble thing, but uh, that's no. From that's from. This, is, uh, this P- is on the court, man. Piz Wizzy. <laughs> um, one day I'll come out to Phoenix and we'll test it out. I would have said six months ago. I mean, I'm 11 years younger than you, so I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, to be I honest, I, I haven't done much. I haven't played basketball basically at all. 
yeah, right. in, co- in in this COVID world. Ne- so yeah, have you, you have an advantage just with the young legs. You're right. Yeah. Well, but I'm out of shape now. And, in, you know, in, but in it, it technically, world, so. if we're going by like 10,000 hour rules, I've probably shot a lot more shots than you just being like 10 years older. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, that, that never leaves you, man. I mean, yeah. if you're a good shooter, that just doesn't leave you and you can continue to be that geriatric dude who shows up to the court and oh, yeah. puts in a couple hours in your 50s. I'm going to be that old guy that goes to the gym at like 730 in the morning and shoots like 400 <laughs> free throws and then leaves. <laughs> That'll be me when I'm like in my 60s. That's uh, so annoying. Don't do that. Yeah, taking up the entire especially the court. yeah, especially when you go and there's only one court and you're just taking up the half court just shooting free throws. I respect it. I respect it. <sighs> uh, mostly because Sam, when you're in your 30s, you want to play half court anyway. Uh, That's true. <laughs> let's see. Do you want to pick one more here of these questions? And I hate to do this to everyone that asks questions, but you know, mm. we can't force people to listen to an hour or to two hours every week. So mm. let's see. I'm looking through. Okay, here's one. Let's let's do this one. I think this is a good ending one. AZ Nate 8. How well can we realistically expect the Suns to do next season? I mean, if you extrapolate from 8 and 0. <laughs> yeah. It's 82 and 0. He said it's obvious that we're a young team that thrives in low levels of stress. I think that's interesting. Maybe he's right. Uh, but although you can argue that the bubble is higher levels of stress, uh, should we expect us to build off of the improvements from the bubble or will this increase in expectations come back to bite us? Uh, you know, I want to mention James Jones did say he's not going to overvalue performances in the bubble in building the team next year. And we've over and over again talked about how we think that's the right, uh, the smart approach uh, as far as building the team going forward. Look, I, I'll be honest. Part of me is like, man, the Suns could be really good next year. <laughs> like, part part of me believes, like, it genuinely believes that because there's just a few positions that, if you fix, could make a pretty massive difference. Like, like as good as Aaron Baines was, if you have a backup center that's good that can play 82 games, that would make a big difference. The obvious things are the backup guard positions. If you fix those two backup guard positions. That makes a massive difference. But then you're talking about another year of development from Devin Booker, another year of development from uh, Mikhail Bridges, another year of development from DeAndre Ayton. And Booker hitting what could be like basically the beginning of his prime here. As I talked about it recently, maybe the op- the cracking of his like title, best player on a title team window, um, if he can improve. And part of me thinks they're going to be really good. And maybe I'm setting myself up for massive disappointment well, define forward. really good. Like, like, a, like, a, like a six seed, for example. Like, yeah. I'm, the thing we have to keep in mind is we're not the only ones who are projecting yeah. improvement, right? Like, yeah. we've talked about it before. The Thunder are the only team that are expected to fall out of the playoff race next year. Everyone else is trying to stay in it. And Golden State, you have to remember, is going to be right back in there. So if Golden State comes back and they snatch... Because I'm not going to bet against Steph Curry and Klay Thompson at this point. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to assume that they come back and and are most likely to snatch up OKC spot. So that leaves the Suns competing with the same exact teams they were last year. So yeah. is De'Aaron yeah. Fox going to get a lot better for right. the Kings? Right. It, and Bagley, who knows who you know mm. Bogdan if they re-sign him, but he healed mm-hmm. whatever. You know, is John Morant? And Jaron Jackson Jr., are they going to get a lot better for Memphis? Is Zion Williamson, like the supposed next GOAT or whatever, who was amazing in the 20 games that he played, going to get a lot better for New Orleans? Like, 
you know, we can't just assume that it's going to be easy for us because we know in the the conference we're in, it's just not. But I think the simple place where you start for the team building is, you know, follow up what worked for you last year. The, The premise that worked for the Suns last year with James Jones is just identify the guys who are the biggest black holes on this roster who are obviously providing net um negative net value and get rid of them and replace them with competent players they don't have to be the best players in the world but but no more josh jackson minutes in that case you know and uh who else did they get rid of next year um they went from playing 2000 minutes of Elliot Kobo to 500 minutes of Elliot Kobo. <laughs> well, now what we need to do next year is play zero minutes of Elliot Kobo right. and play zero minutes of Ty Jerome and don't start Frank Kaminsky for 15 games at center. You know, those are the the obvious areas. And, and you can't control all of that. Some of it is injuries. But, but those are the obvious negatives on this roster that you need to plug up with extra depth. So that's kind of where the argument of, well, maybe the Suns should enter the summer over the cap and not focus on getting a you know, the, the massive free agent fish and just focus on adding two to three more solid role players in free agency, plus a, a decent NBA ready prospect at 10 and go in with as much, as many, you know, positive replacement level players as possible. Maybe that's the best strategy. I mean, that's basically what Miami is this year. They don't have like an overwhelmingly amazing superstar. They just have a lot of pretty good players. Yeah, but they man, did they hit with Hero. <laughs> they, yes, yes, they uh, did. And they're smarter than us and they yeah. have a better culture than us. Yeah. Um, but I, I think with what you just said, the sort of plan, I do feel like the Suns could be over 500 with those changes, which I is agree. a massive improvement. I agree. Uh, and, and, like, and I part of me feels like I'm insane for saying that out loud. The other part of me feels like, I want to be the first to say it out loud, right? Because maybe it's right. <laughs> I mean, know? they could they they could win fifty games. Is that yeah. insane to say? Like, yeah, a little DeAndre, bit. Yeah, <laughs> is it? Because yeah, a little I mean, bit. Yeah. Why do you say that? Why? Because do you, of how difficult the NBA it. is and how much I better know. other teams are going to well, be. And I and I still don't th- look. Look, it's a little bit insane, and I still here. think that I tend to kind of agree with it as well. Just because they in, just have in, a lot of guys that are reaching the right age to be a pretty good team here. Well, and, and to your point, in 2009, you've brought up this example before. In 2009, the Oklahoma City Thunder won 23 games. Yeah. In 2010, they won 50. Yeah. And that, they're an unusual scenario. They had th- literally three guys who would grow up to be MVP candidates who were all coming yeah. into their own at once, plus Serge Ibaka. But what I'm saying is, yeah. if DeAndre Ayton is worth his shit, if, you know, right. if he is right. the player that a lot of Suns fans think he is and hope he is, and next year is the year where he goes out and he averages, it's not even so much about the stats, but but just to throw something out. If he goes out and averages 23 and 12 and gives us good defense every night and he cuts out some of the mid-range bull crap and hits a couple threes, you know, that that is the second best player on a 50-win team, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Mikhail Bridges is very clearly a good player, um, uh, you know, a positive player. And Kelly Oubre and Cam Johnson, these guys are very clearly, um, Ricky Rubio as well, positive players. So then, you know, you go out, you say no more Elliot Kobo minutes, no more Ty Jerome minutes. Let's get DJ Augustine instead. Uh, no more Frank Kaminsky minutes. Let's let's. Uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of things that you could do there. Yeah. Um. You. Pl- I don't know. You plug up the holes, and if you get the right development out of Aiton, there's a 50 win team there. But on the other hand, I'm not saying that that's the most likely scenario. I think what? the most likely yeah. scenario is shoot for 500. Right. 100. I I definitely agree with that, and I think there's a chance that because of how good the West is. 
that uh, those types of teams actually still could make the playoffs, not necessarily because it's bad, but because it's good. There's going to be a lot of a lot of teams competing for that. I think the playoffs is absolutely the goal, and getting over 500 should be part of that goal as well. I don't know if you know this, Sam. Something I don't think Suns fans talk about enough. The Suns had the best lineup in the NBA last season by net rating. <laughs> yeah. I know we never bring it up. <laughs> yeah, in four games. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... no, I know. It's just it's just funny, but it's true. I think you look at the lineups that are good, they're really good. And if you can fix the lineups that are really bad, that's going to have a massive effect without, like, the Suns don't have have to make a massive trade to make a massive effect on how good the team could be next season. Right. And, it's and, just, yeah. It's just going to be sad if they make all of the right improvements and one of two things happens. Either DeAndre Ayton gets suspended for a full season this time. Oh, God. <laughs> or, or, you know, knock on wood. Um, this table is wood, uh, so don't worry. Um, you know, if an if, injury or something, yeah, yeah, you can do all the right things to make the improvements, and then one of your top three players goes down for fifty games, you know, tears an Achilles, or you know, even worse, an ACL or whatever, and it's over. You know, that's it. So you got to be lucky, you got to be smart, and you got to be lucky to be the best right. team in the NBA. No shortcuts. Right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I apologize to the people that we weren't able to get to your questions. I definitely, once again, I appreciate everyone asking us questions on Reddit. Like I said, our roots are on Reddit. So thank you to everyone. I appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back next week uh, talking about something else. Who knows? I say that at the end of every uh, episode. One, One last thing. Don't forget to register to vote. There's only a little bit of time left before you reach that deadline in Arizona. But we'll be back next week. Dragic now, five to shoot. Lost it momentarily. Pulls back. Dragic, a three-pointer. Bang! Goran Dragic from downtown. And the Heat lead by five. All bubble long. Put this team on his back when it mattered most. Not afraid of the moment. Beautiful offense. Bang! Goran Dragic from downtown. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.